when I write, I really want to create space for other people to feel their feelings <laughs> and to recognize that their feelings are valid as much as that's cliche, but your feelings are valid. They are real and you're not crazy for feeling those things. Welcome to another episode of Love and Citizenship. Thank you for joining us this week. And before we start, I just quickly want to apologize about not having an episode out last week. If you'd like to know more as to why that was, there is a highlight that is pinned on our Instagram account if you'd like to know more. But again, allow me to extend my apologies for not having an episode last week. This week's episode, though, is with the lovely, the truly incredible Ella Dawson. And the fact that I get to introduce her as a guest on this, I've had to constantly pinch myself to just remind myself that this is in a dream because all of this, her being on the episode came out of me just sending her an email, expecting her to not even read it. And you'll figure this out as the conversation goes and as you listen to it, Ella is one of the nicest human. And the fact that she engaged with this conversation with such authenticity, vulnerability, the realness of it, which is so present and evident in her writing as well. It's just, it's been an incredible privilege. There's no more words to it. This episode is also the longest so far because I really, I really tried to edit it down, but there's such essential bits. The words of wisdom, it's, it's, it, it was really hard. So I think we're on to a minute and a, an hour and a sixth, but I promise you it is worth sitting through. It's worth listening to because this is a very vulnerable and real conversation featuring a writer who writes with such authenticity, vulnerability, and just is using her lived experience to shine a light for somebody walking through a similar dark. And while that journey is for them to walk through, it is truly incredible that she's lending the light. And there's never enough good things that I can say about Ella, but it's been a privilege to have one of my favorite writers sit across the world from me and for me to get to engage with them about their craft, but also the very life that added to them. So without further wait, I think let's just get on with the episode. My name is Ella, as you said, and I am a sex and culture critic, which is a fancy way of saying that I like to write about relationships and sexuality and pop culture and uh, spew my opinions on the internet at large. I first came across Ella through her tweets and in that time, like exploring her writing. Um, I am very, very positive, like that the conversations we have today really do give you an insight into how awesome Ella is. Um, no pressure, though, Thank you. in fairness. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the nature of the conversation today is going to be around love because this is a podcast about love and identity and citizenship but what i'm very curious to maybe talk about as well is your creative process what that spells for you how your understanding of love be that romantic or otherwise adds to your writing and how it's really shaped your sense of self and your creative voice so many questions coming down but i suppose the big one to start with is what is your idea of love what is love for you and what it means to you it's such a tricky question, which I'm sure is the first thing that comes out of people's mouths when you ask them that, because it is, it's such a whopper. I feel like that's the human condition is what is love. Yeah. Um, for me, I think of love as being 
your ability to trust someone and be your most vulnerable self with them Mm -hmm. and to rely on them to know that they will be there for you and, and hold you and allow you to be your best self. I could talk for 30 minutes in a very inarticulate way about what I think love is, but I think at its core, it really is just trust and a mutual commitment to helping that other person be happy and successful and grow and be healthy and be okay, especially in times like these. Oh, absolutely. Well, was that always your understanding of love? And I suppose to, to kind of add more to it so we can, we can unpack it, maybe give us a bit of a glimpse into your like model of a relationship that you saw around you or love around you and how, like, what, how, how that came about, I suppose. Yeah. So I definitely, when I was younger, had a much more romantic, adventurous notion of what love is. I was very much a boy crazy, love obsessed preteen and teenager. I used to demolish YA romance novels. Like the the way that I imagined love was this all consuming, huge emotion that takes over your life. And the person you love is the center of your life and your biggest priority and that you lose yourself in that person. And For context, I was a teenager when Twilight was a thing. And as much as I made fun of the Twilight books endlessly, at the time, I still read them and really related to that. This person is the center of my life and I will do anything for them, which is now that I am more of an adult, I can understand is a very toxic understanding of what love is. Love should not be an all-consuming, obsessive, push everything else in your life aside presence in your life. I'm very lucky that I I did grow up with a wonderful, supportive family. I'm an only child. And so I spent a lot of time with my parents, particularly my mom, who worked from home to be with me a lot of the time. And they were always very kind to each other. And I got the sense that they were collaborators in life. And when I think about love, I think about how I used to wake up on Sunday mornings and they would be reading the New York Times together in bed and my my dad would bring my mom coffee in bed and they had this whole routine and it was very stable and rooted in comfort and in building a life together and as I've gotten older I recognize that love can be obsessive and beautiful and all consuming but that type of love tends to burn out and love that is much more rooted in I love and see this person and I want to build something with them. That love tends to withstand time. But I've also realized there are many different types of love, whether that's romantic or familial. You can fall in love in a million different ways. And I think that relationships are so singular. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny when you fall in love in romantic love for the second time with someone new and you're kind of like, is this is this what I'm feeling? Is this, it's different than it was with that person, but this still feels like love. Like, I think that was the lesson of my twenties being like, love is very, love takes many forms. But yeah, you probably should not have the Edward Cullen style love because you will wind up dead is my guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> what I, what I also find, I read all the Twilight novels as well, in fairness. Nice. Yes. <laughs> what, I, what I find so troublesome about that, because my understanding of love significantly changed as well. Like I was meant like not so much through my parents but through this societal model Bollywood really fucked me up as well I think I grew up with the model of you have to sacrifice you have to be the knight in charming armor your Mm. lover needs saving and that is Mm. also so toxic but what 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 you said there it's I I so resonate with that and agree with it in a way of it's not about self-sacrifice it's about it's meeting in the middle if it's self-sacrificial if it's the Edward Cullen Bella romance 
then that is what it ends up being. Or even worse, you're Jacob on the side pining for love <laughs> um, and then imprinting on the child, which is so weird. That whole series just jumped the shark. <laughs> but totally, it is like you should still be an independent person mm-hmm. when you're in love. But those moments where you do overlap with the other person and you mutually benefit from each other, even as you might compromise and negotiate to make sure you're both getting your needs met, like it is love is work and a relationship is work. Yes. And that. I think when you're younger, work just seems so unsexy. The idea Mm -hmm. of compromising or talking things out or having long discussions about what are we going to do when we both don't agree on something, that is is part of the deal. It doesn't get to just be easy. And that's not a bad thing. I I do agree. It is very unsexy. If you told like even like 18-year-old <laughs> me of like Pran, yeah. love requires work. He's like, no, it's all passion and it's steamy and it's love. Mm-hmm. But no, I think in hindsight, we can understand that. But in the moment, it just seems so like alien, a concept of like not like putting in work. No, this should just naturally yeah. fit. Well, we think of love as magic and yeah. it's and it's supposed to just all resolve itself. But Having been in love with people where mm. love hasn't conquered all, yes. I think it's it's a lesson you have to learn firsthand because it's not it's not something that we're taught in culture and entertainment that sometimes you can love someone and it's just not going to work out because you're incompatible or context changes. But love can change over time and how you can love people and not not be the right person for them anymore. And that love can take a lot of different forms and that love also doesn't fail. Like, I think that that's, that's a script that a lot of us have that if a relationship ends, it's failed. And that's not, that's not the case. That's not how it works. And the fact that we don't talk about it more is really sad because I think there's so much to learn. Obviously, I have a lot of problems with, I take issue with shame. I think shame is frustrating. Yes. Um, but that's my very rambly answer to that question. No, that, that, that's a very good answer because it's it's sparked of these little different mm-hmm. things in me. Um, shame is definitely something I am going to revisit because there is mm-hmm. I can I can already it's a see theme. It. it is it really is because I I think it's safe to say both you and I have had relationships that have ended, and the the way I felt like I was let down by society was. Mm-hmm. I was never told, I was told how to get into relationships. I mean, Enrique Iglesias and the many Bollywood singers made it, made sure I knew exactly how to get in relationships, which is also very problematic. But <laughs> nobody ever told me how to end relationships because they were going to end one way or the other. Yeah. And I know there was a learning experience there for me, but I'm curious to know what was your experience of ending relationships? And I suppose we'll start with that and then then I'll get to the bit of what was the learning after? So what was your experience of ending relationships? Yeah, I growing up, I always thought of like, the goal is to just get the boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And like, once you get the boyfriend, that's the happily ever after, because that's where most books end, that's where most films end. it's like that kiss and then curtains. And so when I'd been in relationships that weren't working, I just had no idea what to do. I didn't know how to improve the relationship or leave the relationship because the beginning of the relationship was shown to me as the end of the story yeah. for, for most of my life. And I, it's funny, I've broken up with very few people. I've been dumped by a lot of people. I think mm-hmm. I can only think of like one or two serious relationships where I was the person who decided to end things. And that was... Those were like extreme cases of, oh my God, this person is a bad person. Mm-hmm. I think that I I tend to just be a clinger. Like I have a lot of difficulty leaving people and recognizing that things aren't working. Yeah. And that is that stubborn piece of me that's like, if I love this person 
it should, there should always be a way, but I've had one or two big, big, big breakups that really, really shook who I was because I was so codependent, but also in love with that person. And it's so difficult to know how to either to be them in that dynamic and make the right call to end the relationship or to be the person who is kind of shell-shocked and trying to rebuild their life. Like we have a lot of like angry breakup scripts of like the fitness montage and the angry music and getting bangs. But like we have the montage version. We don't have the here's how to actually have this emotional experience and come out on the other side without being bitter or resentful or pining for that person. Like how do you actually get over it? And what actually is closure? Is that a myth? Is that like... How does that work? I've, I've, as I've gotten older, I've come to believe that like sometimes you fall in love with someone and you just never get over them. And that mm-hmm. love is just always a part of you. And that doesn't mean you can't fully love other people. That doesn't mean you want them back. It just means that that love becomes part of who you are. It becomes part of your heart. And I think you just have to know what do you do with that love? Maybe you appreciate it. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe this isn't someone who should still be in your life long term, but who you check in on to say like, are you still alive? Yeah. yeah it's yeah. It, I've breakups in the end of relationships tend to be a theme in my writing. And I've written so many short stories about like exes who still have a connection mm-hmm. because I just, I think it's fascinating where, where do those feelings go? And is it okay that it's not so simple? It's just like, we're over. I'm putting your stuff in a box and you're out of my life. Yeah. I've been terrible with that. And it's hard. It really is. It's hard. It really is. And there's no narrative around it. You're so spot on when you say that most books or movies will end when it's the happy ever after. Well, that's not the happily ever after. Yeah. Breakups are shit. <laughs> They're really They're terrible. Yeah. They're horrible. And no, my dad gave me advice after one particularly awful breakup where I had been I'd been dating an asshole mm-hmm. who loyal readers will recognize as the jerk who's in all, a lot of my essays. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to figure out, I was talking to my dad. I was like, I, I still love this person. I can't be with them. I don't know. I don't know how those two things can coexist at once that I, I cannot stand this person. And I love them at the same time. And like, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And he was like, take that feeling, wrap it up in gold and put it away somewhere safe. And I just like I wrote it down in my diary. It's what I always come back to. It's just like, you don't have to burn all of their clothes. You don't have to CTRL, alt, delete all of your memories. You keep those feelings and you treasure them and you put them on your bookshelf and you get to keep them, but you get to still remember all the context that goes with them. And that's, yeah, I think there's a lot of poetry about broken hearts and not a lot of advice. <laughs> it's yeah. I think the problem we come back to. To you again, with the caveat of like, to the degree that you feel comfortable, what's the most gut-wrenching romantic moment where you've had where like every notion that you'd had at that point just like collapsed? Is there a moment like that or like anything that comes close? Yeah. I mean, I, so I wrote an essay, Breakup Sex, Mm -hmm. which was on long reads as well by a different title, but Breakup Sex is the title it has in my soul. Mm -hmm. I wrote about this relationship I had, like my, not my first love, but like my first great love where I truly thought, even though I was 21, this this person could be it. And we had like an on and off relationship at the end because I was a few years older. I just graduated college. Like 
it just was not in the cards timing wise for us. But I was just convinced that we can make this work where there's a will, there's a way. I love you. You're the first person I've been with who really treats me well and understands me. I was just, I was in it deep. Mm -hmm. And he, he was a teenager. He was quite, I think he was like 19, 20 when we broke up, but he hadn't been communicating with me some of the, the challenges that he'd been having in the relationship. And I'd been struggling a lot with anxiety and depression because I just graduated college and I had no idea what I was doing with my life. So there was a lot wrong with the relationship that I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And he broke up with me. We were sitting at his parents' kitchen table and he said, you know, this isn't working. And I just shattered, like, not cute, like went full feral, just so sobbing, brokenhearted, stormed out of the room, hid in the guest room. He didn't follow me. And I was like, everything that I learned about relationships and fights and breakups, just it just failed me in that moment. I was like, I stormed out of the room. Why isn't he chasing me? Why isn't he apologizing? Like, how could this possibly be? And it just, it broke me so deeply. And it took us a while to fully, to make the breakup stick because we did really love each other. It just, it wasn't going to work. There were too many challenges. And that moment was like the most singular devastation. And I'd had other breakups before I'd had traumatic breakups before I'd had like, I'd, I'd seen some shit. Mm -hmm. But that was a real teachable moment of sometimes just loving someone isn't enough. It has to be the right time. It has to be the right place. You have to both want the same things. You both have to be ready. And that moment was that breakthrough for me, although I didn't really know it at the time. And Yeah, I then had to like take a sad Uber to LAX because I had been visiting him. Just like, (laughs) it's a terrible breakup. But uh, yeah, that was that was the biggest heartbreak moment for me. And it took a long time for me to be able to write about it because it's just, it's hard to put that kind of grief into words. And it's also just, it, it sounds so boring, too. Like everybody's had that kind of breakup. And everybody's everybody's felt that kind of heartbreak and you feel almost self-indulgent to be like, wow, I was really brokenhearted sitting on the floor of his parents' guest room. <laughs> like it took me a while to find meaning in it for other people. I will have to say I'm in, in reading that and I, anybody listening in, I, I, I would urge you read breakup sex because while you're bringing your experience, the emotion behind it is something that anybody that's felt that anybody that's been left on that floor, it, it gets to you. Mm-hmm. What what I suppose is is the thing that now has me curious is we've talked about how like there's always in the movies a montage of like breakup happens you get a tattoo you run a marathon you pick up a new skill all of that happens whereas at least for me that wasn't the case I was a miserable wreck for the next six months what was it like for you what was the after you've taken the taxi you're you're headed to LAX what 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 came after. At the time I was living in Berkeley, I had moved there summer after college to intern at a publishing house. And my family were all on the East Coast and my internship was ending and my boyfriend had just broken up with me. And I called my parents and I was like, fuck it. Can you please book me a plane? I'm coming home. And so I had two weeks left in Berkeley rattling around my apartment. I didn't really have many friends because I'd only been there for a few months. I like swiped the hell out of tinder but didn't actually meet anybody because i just 
I wanted validation from strangers because I was really sad, but I, the idea of actually seeing anyone was too much. And I just was just really damn sad. And I packed up my life, sent boxes home, got the plane home, moved back in with my mom and just grieved. And I wound up seeing my ex again about a month and a half later before he left for study abroad. And we had breakup sex, as I write about in the essay. And that was that helped relieve some of that grief and pain because it, it helped me understand that while I was the one who was blindsided by a breakup, I was not the only one in pain. And it reminded me that he loved me too. And so that that helped in some ways because it mm-hmm. took away that that shock. I realized I wasn't the only one suffering, but it still gave me false hope that there might be another chance for us. So it took me another year to realize, no, this is actually over. I dated other people. I treated them poorly because I was entirely emotionally unavailable. And then when my ex came back, he invited me to visit him. And I was like, this is it. This is the romantic gesture. This is so exciting. We're going to, we've overcome, like he's back in the States. And surprise, no, we're still not going to be in a relationship. And I just like, I kept looking for scraps of proof that we were going to get back together for a very long time and just refused to get over it. Even as I was dating other people and building crushes and building my brand as a writer and really growing and moving to New York, like I continued being a person and continued growing, but I just held out dumb hope for a very long time until finally it just became, I think he finally was like, look, this, this, you gotta let go. Like, this isn't going to happen. I love you, but we're not, this just is over. And like, props to him. Like, that sounds blunt when I say that, but it's really hard to tell someone like, I love you. And you love me, but this is never, this is not going to happen. And he fell in love with someone else and dated her for quite some time. And I think that just drove home for me that I could love him and want him to be happy and want to be happy myself. And that didn't mean that love was going to conquer all. I had to just move on. And when I did, like I started noticing people around me and came back into myself and realized I lived in New York City and and eventually I did fall for other people. And, but it, it just, it took so long to realize like you have to stop hoping. So when someone tells you we can't be together, they're not saying maybe in six months or maybe in a year or maybe once I've developed as a person, you have to just take the breakup as a breakup and not create little caveats for yourself. Like you just have to just. You can't reckon with it or reason with it or a lot or like logic puzzle them into getting back together with you. Like when someone tells you it's over, you have to just say, okay. And it took a very long time for me to learn that lesson. Mm -hmm. And even now, like it's still, I see friends struggling with that. And it's, of course, it's, it's impossible advice. You can't tell your friend like, Hey, if they broke up with you, you need to just get over it. But yeah. I, I broke a lot of hearts <laughs> while my heart was broken. And then eventually I realized, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I can be, there's life after this. I'll meet someone else. But yeah, it wasn't like a fun, cute montage breakup. Yeah. It was Ella being very selfish and self-sabotaging and 100,000% in denial for a very long time. Isn't it a beautiful moment when you're, well, not beautiful. I'm making it more like noble and grand than it needs to be. But it is, I think, in your bones, you know, that this is now a new like stage we're at. Where like, now I can actually do the work that is meaningful and helpful in helping me process that. And 
it's it i suppose was it was your writing a part of that process in kind of process even if not like getting over but like processing these feelings that you had yeah i i was i'm really fortunate that my ex was just sweet what a sweet boy who did not sign up for this he's been very he was always incredibly supportive of my writing mm-hmm. and i reached out to him a few years ago ostensibly for advice about something else because yeah. he had just made a few life changes and I was considering leaving my job and going through some angst. And I reached out to him to be like, Hey, can I get your advice on X, Y, Z? And like halfway through the call, he was like, look, I know you, what have you written about me that you're being too shy to ask me for my blessing for? Yeah. And I was like, Oh, you caught me. I'm working on a, a book proposal about casual sex. And I wrote about our breakup sex. And he was like, yeah, I knew that was where this was going. Mm-hmm. And I expected him to be shy about it. He, most sane people have a lot of privacy concerns when their ex is like, hey, I wrote about you. And to his credit, he said, you know, I stand by the way that I behaved in our relationship. And if I made any mistakes, I take accountability for that. And you don't need my permission to write about our relationship. It's yours. Do what you got to do. I'm not going to tell you. You can't. Like, go for it. And... um I shared the essay with him in a Google Doc and he just to be like, this is what it is. I don't want you to be blindsided. And he wrote a bunch of really helpful margin notes <laughs> and That's like funny. offered his perspective of things and memories that he had and miscommunications that I didn't even know about. He was like, well, this is what I thought you said in that moment. And clearly I misheard you. Like he made it a really collaborative experience and was really sweet about it. And then was just like, good luck selling it, good luck with your book, whatever, like, bye. Uh, (laughs) And I think I even said, like, I'd love to buy you a burger as a thank you. And he's like, please don't do that. That makes me feel a little gross. Like, (laughs) it's your essay. And he was just really nice about it. And I feel like that was as much as like, I'd already moved on with life. And Mm -hmm. I I wasn't trying to get back together with him. I was in a serious relationship with someone I'm deeply in love with. Mm -hmm. But that was that moment for me of, oh, we're, we can be in each other's lives and be friends, but this is over. Like, this is really, yeah. we're in a new place now. We mm-hmm. are friends who keep sporadically in contact, but when one person calls, the other answers. Yeah. And this is just a different type of friendship, too. This is going to be a friendship steeped in history that we're never going to be like, did you watch last night's ball game? Let's talk about it. But in those moments when I really need something, we'll show up for each other. And the essay was really good and I sold it to long reads and now it's one of my favorite pieces and I think is the most representative of who I want to be as a writer. And, and it's the essay has stopped being, when I think about it as an essay, I think about it as something I've written, not something I wrote about him. Like now it's just emblematic of my work and I'm excited to talk about it with people. Yeah. So yeah, many, many years journey. (laughs) Yeah, it it is. And I'm glad you had it as, as tough as it has been. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you're in a place now where you can reflect on it. Yeah. I don't think we ever stop doing the work, whatever work we're doing. I think it's an ongoing process. But to be in a place where you can reflect on something that was so traumatic once upon a time and then come out a lens of, yeah. I'm grateful for that journey. I'm glad we're in a place where that has changed, that sense of appreciation. I'm glad you really have that. And I think your journey of learning all these different things from these relationships that you've had off your model of a relationship that you, that you grew up with you where you're at now. What has that experience of taking all of that and starting a new relationship, someone you're deeply in love with, what has that been like? What have you learned in that process of like 
maybe literally using everything that you've learned practical in a practical sense, especially in the worst like healthcare crisis in our living times. Like, what, what, what has that been like? Yeah, it's funny. I feel like living with my, my boyfriend and I lived together thanks to the pandemic. It kind of accelerated that. And it's been so interesting. I feel like this is like the final exam in some mm-hmm. ways. I mean, it's not the final exam because our relationship will continue forward, but it's like, like oh these are all the things I've learned and now I'm being tested on them it's how do you how do you live with someone and see the everyday moments how do you cope when the power goes out or Mm -hmm. when you're living with you're living in your mom's attic and everybody's tense and anxious like how do you how do you remember to be graceful how do you communicate even when communication is hard how do you let people be independent while you live with them in one room. Like it's, I feel like this has been, it really does feel like a test, not in a negative way, but just in like, how much have I been paying attention during my classes? Like what have I learned from those past relationships and how can I make sure to apply that knowledge Mm -hmm. with this relationship? And my boyfriend is shockingly intelligent emotionally. Mm -hmm. So he's usually one or two steps ahead of me where I'll be working through a problem that I'm having or a problem in our, our relationship. And then he'll make some, he'll make some observation about me that makes me feel tremendously seen and also very embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's a moment of, oh, you, you understand me better than I understand myself sometimes. But yeah, it is, it is really, it is hard. But I've learned so much from my exes. I'm very grateful for them, for the lessons that they've taught me. I'm trying to carry that forward in the relationship that I'm in. I can't think of any examples, but it is just like, yeah, people are really weird. And people, I think particularly right now, people are weird too. Mm -hmm. Because when people are stressed and scared and burnt out and exhausted, people are not their normal selves. And like, I'll use an example. I, the other day, hit my breaking point. My boyfriend and I were having an argument because I had yelled at him while driving. And he rightfully was like, that was not nice. Please don't speak to me like that. And for some reason, I just got really overwhelmed because I'd had I'd already been super overstimulated, and and I picked up one of our dining room chairs and just fucking smashed it on the floor, just like wailed it, broke the entire thing to pieces, lost my damn mind, and I was screaming as I did this. I'm trying my best. (laughs) Absurd, like sitcom moment. Yeah. And it must have been very scary for my boyfriend to see your girlfriend just like break a piece of furniture in rage and grief. Mm-hmm. And to his credit, he like after I stopped, like put me in bed, brought me water, and then was like, "What the fuck was that?" But was very patient and like didn't he didn't let me off the hook because yeah. we had been in the middle of an argument. And also, it is not acceptable to break furniture. Yeah. I am an adult; don't do that. But I said, like, I'm so embarrassed. I just did that. I'm so sorry that I just broke our furniture. Like, I will pay for it. Yada yada yada. And he goes, "I forgive you. I forgive you. Like that. It's okay." And I realized I'd never been in a relationship where I'd been forgiven for things. Like I've never had a romantic relationship where one of us has messed up and the other person has been like, let's sit with it. Let's figure out what happened and then forgive each other and then move on. Mm -hmm. I was just like, damn, this is adulthood. Like this is a real relationship. We're not going to fight about this. This isn't going to be something you rub in my face in six months. Like remember the time you broke my chair? Like, yeah, it was just, it was one of those moments that I was just like, this is, this is a test and he passed the test. And I don't know if I'm going to pass the test, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> As she slams the chair. <laughs> what does it feel like 
this is again aiming at the vulnerability, but like what does it feel like to be in a relationship where, as you said, you you feel like you've been this is the first time you've been forgiven in a relationship. And like the adult take on, I'm not gonna shove this in your face. I'm not gonna remind you every time you sit on the chair about how you broke the other chair. What 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 did it feel like? <laughs> it's he and I have had several moments where I've done something really what that I considered unforgivable and mm. that he's been like, no, I forgive you. Let's just work on this and learn from this. And every time I'm always like, what's the catch? Like this, you mean yeah. you're not going to keep score? Like this isn't going to be a Trump card. Yeah. You we're going to talk about it. Like it still boggles my mind, which is, which says a lot about my past relationships and about me as a person mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm kind of like, I don't trust that you're a nice person, but um, it short circuits my brain a little bit. When somebody treats you with such kindness mm-hmm. and you're not used to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird when someone loves you properly and you're not used to it. <laughs> it's it feels like a trick. And it's not one. And isn't yeah. that great? <laughs> to to paraphrase you and how how we started this episode, I think you're both working on it. Yeah. You're you're attempting to meet in the middle, and that is I'm I'm really happy for you. And I hope you continue to work on it together. I'm not going to say, oh, there's a happy ever after after this because we both know that's a whole lot of yeah. bullshit. But I think, I, I just hope you both continue to meet in the middle. writing in a big way explores human emotions, intimacy, relationships, the many complexities that all of that can bring. And I'm sure you get this question all the time, but I I am very curious as well. How did you know you wanted to be a writer? I have always been a writer. And I say that because my mom found these photos of me when I was a toddler before I knew how to write, where Uh I had one of those marble composition notebooks and I was just drawing squiggly lines across the page, like pages and pages and pages of squiggly lines. I I just always wanted to write. For me, writing has always been about A, processing my feelings and reflecting on my experiences and like hoarding memories as much as possible and capturing all those little details. And because I've always been a relationship oriented person and relationships have always been like, I, I don't fantasize about winning an Oscar in, in the shower. Like I don't write my Oscar speech. I've always been like writing dramatic monologues from mm-hmm. like a romance novel. That's it's just what consumes me. And when I was a teenager, I wrote, I did national novel writing month and wrote a YA novel mm-hmm. called the rules of hooking up and how Bianca Fret broke them all, which was about all of the relationship drama in my high school theater department okay. um, and like the crush that I had on someone. And so it's just, it's always been what I do. And I think I always considered writing something you couldn't make money doing. And it was just something that was part of who I am as opposed to a career. Mm-hmm. And it's only been in the last year or two that I've decided, like, I don't want to do anything else. This is what I do. I want to refine this as a craft yeah. and be a capital W writer. But yeah, I've just always done it. I don't, I can't think of myself any other way. It is so core to who I am. 
Was there for you an aha moment where you went, this is who I am? Or like, was this just something you were very like perpetually aware of? Like, I can't separate Ella from writing. We're one and the same. I really do feel like it's always been just a huge part of who I am and the way that I operate. Mm -hmm. I don't think there was a moment where I realized, huzzah, I must write. Like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And like, I distinctly remember, like, I flunked out almost in high school, sophomore year, because I decided to do National Novel Writing Month instead of doing my homework. And so at 15, I just decided this is more important than schoolwork. I'm going to write a damn novel. And it was super dumb. Like it really hurt my, my academic record. I nearly didn't get into college because they were like, why did you get a D in geometry? I had to write a book. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think that was a moment where I was like, this is what my priorities are. And as Mm -hmm. I've gotten older, I've learned to balance like how to write without jeopardizing my job or my sanity or whatever it might be or my relationships. But I, I think when I was like 15 was definitely that age where I was like, no, this is more important than your society. Um, I must write this book. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's what that's the best example I have. If, if, if there was ever a movie about your life, I think this scene needs to be there. If like 15 year old, yep. I love like fuck geometry. I'm writing a YA novel. When am I going to need triangles? When am I going to need to know this? This is not as important. And like to my credit, my mom was just like, this book is pretty cool. Like, do you want me to get it bound? Like, should we self-publish it? How do you want to do this? Like, my parents Mm -hmm. totally had my back. They're like, you're a weird artist. And Mm -hmm. I think my dad was more like, but you should probably pay attention in math. Yeah. Yeah, My parents, thankfully, were always like, oh, I guess I guess we had a writer. This is Mm -hmm. who she is. Like, yeah. So going from a place of where like, okay, so you know, you're a writer, you've sacrificed geometry for, for writing as well. When did you first realize that this was something you could do full time? Yeah. So I, I always wanted to be an author, like when people would ask me what I wanted to do. And when I got to college and I had to actually think, you know, what is a career? How does money work? Like, what am I actually going to do when I graduate? I just assumed I would go work in publishing and Mm -hmm. I would be an editor or somewhere work in that world. Cause I knew you don't get, you don't get a book deal at 22. Like I have to have a job. I have to have a plan, but I never was like, I'm going to be a full-time writer. It was always, I'm going to have a job that's going to pay the bills and then I'm going to write. Mm-hmm. And I built up my presence online. I found a few topics that I, that I'm an expert on. I wrote a lot about sexual health and then eventually started writing more about mental health and relationships and sex in general, and just built up a platform for myself. But even as recently as a year ago, I was like, no, I work in social media. That is my job. That is how I pay the bills. Maybe I'm a digital strategist, but like, no, (laughs) I can't, I can't think that I'll write full time. I'm, I'm not good at freelancing. Like I'm not good at the instability of pitching places. Like I write fiction and I write memoir. That's mostly what I do. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to make a living on just like, here are my short stories and occasional personal essays. Like I just don't have it in me to have the full-time freelance hustle like that. And last year I found myself in a job that I did not particularly like. And I started the Patreon kind of just to see what would happen. I didn't expect to live full time off of Patreon. I kind of, I was more testing the waters to see what would happen. And then I wound up aggressively quitting my job in a fit of peak that was not very dignified because I just, it wound up, got messy. And I found myself, oh, I'm unemployed, but I have this Patreon and I'm pulling in a few hundred dollars a month 
I knew I wasn't ready to go back to work full time because I had so much anger about the job that I just had. I was really burnt out in the middle of a pandemic. And I, I was like, I don't want to work in social media anymore. And I just decided I, I have low expenses right now. I'm living with my boyfriend. I'm just going to see what happens. And when I started telling people I want to write full time, this is what I'm doing right now. People just started showing up for me. And Patreon's not the most, um, it's not the most stable. Like a lot of people will drop at the beginning of every month. A bunch of people will cancel their pledges be- mm-hmm. after getting charged because yeah. they're like, oh shit, I just, I forgot that I was signed up for this or their financial situation changes. So every month there's a churn of losing people yeah. and then gaining people. So it's not a great long term strategy, my guess is mm-hmm. financially. Yeah. But because of people signing up for annual subscriptions, I turned on the annual subscription and a bunch of my people who were already members said, oh, I'll pay a year in advance too. So I took home a bunch of money because people who already liked what I was doing said, here's $200 for the next year. I trust you. And that just, it blew me away. And it made me realize that there are multiple ways of being a professional writer. You can be an author who survives on book deals. You can be a freelancer who's constantly pitching places, or you can go directly to your readers and be like, hey, do you like me enough to just throw me some money? And um, it's working so far. And I don't know if I'll do it forever. I am working on a novel that's kind of driving me crazy. And so hopefully I'll have money someday from that. But mm-hmm. for now, it's perfect for where I'm at. It's it's just the chance to say I'm going to explore what I want to write. And if people like it, they can stick around. And mm-hmm. it makes me so happy. Like It's so humbling and so much fun. And I get to know folks like you. Like yeah. I wasn't really expecting it to be as much of a community as it's turning into. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing to hear people talk about what in my writing they related to and to also have them challenge me. I've become good friends with another one of my patrons and I ran my new essay about bisexuality before, uh, through her before it went up and she gave me really good feedback on it. I was yeah. like, this is exactly what I want. Like an old school, I have old school patrons who are patronizing yeah. my art. Like this is the <laughs> best. That's my rant. I'm so happy about it. <laughs> I think what for for you as a writer, I can so see the benefit. But I think for me as somebody who likes your art, this is an opportunity for me. Like even if the podcast didn't happen, I think it, it's such a cool opportunity for creative to for like creatives and the audience to engage with each other. And like the mm-hmm. only people who'd be on your Patreon are like people who are like really interested in the art because you you shut out the haze, you shut out the weird folks right at the door because there's a price of admission, right? Yeah, And I think for, for us as the audience, it's so cool to get to have these conversations with you. And like, listen, man, you're an incredible writer and we get to see your writing. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a win-win on all directions. Thank you. I think that a lot of people have become very divorced from the creators who make their favorite stuff. Like yeah. I, there used to be much more of a model of people patronizing the arts. Like mm-hmm. that term exists for a reason. People yeah. used to get to know and invest in the artists or the writers that they really respected. And yeah. Patreon is it, through the digital, through the digital environment, not to get snooty. Like I can get <laughs> to know people who are reading what I'm, what I'm making. And it's so funny when like you mentioned nerding out over me when we had our first call, like mm-hmm. that happens to me all the time. <laughs> And it's so strange to me because I am normal. Like I am not rich. I am not famous. I am just someone who has a lot of Twitter followers, which I think gets confused for like, it just, I love that Patreon breaks down that boundary Mm -hmm. and I can be like, Hey guys, I'm like, I'm having some heart issues and I'm dealing with my insurance company. And like, this is what's going on in my life. Like it, it takes away some of that 
weirdness of internet fame, which is so, it's just, yeah, like you and I have so much in common mm -hmm. and I'm just excited to talk to another writer about craft. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm so excited. So I, I'm excited about Patreon changing the relationship I have to, to folks who read my work. It's been really wonderful. It makes your art even more real because mm. through these mediums, we get to get a glimpse of the person that you are. And you, you literally were spot on off. Like it does kill that internet fame image. Like Ella is Ella, take it or leave it. This is who I am. These are all these things that I'm doing. I think that's super cool. To, to come back to your craft, mm -hmm. you, your creative voice is just, and I've said this to you before, the, 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 the scene may be playing out in the writing. And it's not so much the scene that really hits. Of course, there's beautiful imagery, but it's the emotion behind it. And I think that the, your artistic voice conveys it in such a honest, unfiltered way that it's just, it gets to you. It, 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 it sits with you. If, if you've even experienced an iota of that, it, it, it stays with you. Was that always the way you wrote? Was there a journey of getting to the place? Maybe, maybe take us through, what was your journey, I suppose, in exploring your artistic expression and how did you find your creative voice? Yeah, I, so I'm not like a, I don't know if you can say that writers are classically trained in the way that you can musicians, but like mm -hmm. I, I don't have an MFA. I never studied creative writing in college. I just couldn't get into the classes. There was such high demand. Mm -hmm. I'm a gender studies major. And so I don't have a lot of the vocabulary that folks, that some folks have to describe my writing. Um, it, it feels much more like, I don't want to call it magic because it's not magic. It is a craft that I'm learning, but it, it it's, I struggle to explain my writing process. Cause it's just like, I just put the words on the page and then the, blah, blah. but I, I will say that I, I've always been an emotion first person. Like mm -hmm. I, even in my short stories, like you can see that I'm struggling to do the actual like plot and character and like. I'm much more like, what are the feels? Just give me the feels. Yeah. And I think that when I go back and read my earlier blog posts from my early 20s or my old short stories, like there was an impatience in a lot of my voice and kind of an unfiltered, unrefined, like just here are my goddamn feelings. Like mm -hmm. here are the feelings. And my journey as a writer over the last few years has been learning how do I slow down? How do I edit? How do I look for the larger theme and through line of what I'm working on? What's the imagery or the example that I can use? What are the essentials of the story that I need people to have? Mm -hmm. What's self-indulgent for me to include that I'm including because it's important to me, but what might be getting in the way of the reader understanding what I'm trying to say, which is my fancy way of saying I've learned how to edit, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but I do like, I, I've just, I've always been I've always just been really self-obsessed when it comes to my feelings, particularly mm -hmm. about relationships and sex. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't even know how to answer the question because it's just, it feels like it's, it's, it just happens. Like yeah. I, I will sometimes enter that wonderful fugue state that happens when you're just really in the flow of what you're writing. And then I walk away and I'm like, that was really good. I don't know how I did that. Mm -hmm. And then there are days where I sit down and the words just, it's like pulling teeth. But voice, yeah, voice in the honesty piece, I, I think that I've always had a problem with having a filter. Mm -hmm. And I think as I've become a better writer, I've learned it's not necessarily about censoring yourself. It's about learning as you edit what's actually necessary for what yeah. you're trying to communicate. And so I am, I'm a very honest, authentic person in my writing, I'd like to think, but I'm a lot more polished in my 
honesty than I used to be. But by the sound of it, it's not so much the censorship, but the restraint and what you put in. Sometimes a word will carry more meaning than an entire sentence mm-hmm. on that word. Yeah. And it's not it's not bad to censor either. Like it's not it's not bad to be like, I don't really need this. This isn't as effective as it needs to be. I've learned to be more focused in the edit on what is actually there for the reader as opposed yeah. to what do I want to put there as the writer. It's not about me when it comes to what I'm publishing. Yeah. I'd imagine writing like short essays or even like say a four part arc as opposed to an entire novel is a very different process in writing. What has that transition been like for you from like writing essays to blog posts of like even the bigger pieces like your micro memoir to now this? What's the transition been like? It's been rocky. Uh, (laughs) It's funny. I've been struggling so much with my confidence as a writer while working on the novel because you forget that there are many different skills that fall under the bucket of writer. There's Mm -hmm. maybe it's your excellent with words, but you're not good at structure. Maybe you're wonderful at writing first person essays, but you struggle in third person. Like there's so many different pieces that go into writing Mm -hmm. in general. And I've just, for a long time, I was struggling with a novel and I was like, shit, am I not a writer? Like, am I not, do I not actually know how to write? And I'm a damn good writer. I'm just not very good at planning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, and I'm not very good at writing multiple drafts over and over again and revising over and over again. I'm, I'm, I really like doing like a one shot draft and then coming back to it and then polishing it and revising it. I'm not as good at writing like insert scene here and then continuing on in the story. I want to write everything chronologically. You can't do that when you're working on a novel, you have to move around constantly. And it's been really, really hard for me to work on the novel because it's, there's just so much work. There's years and years of work. And I am so, I'm so much a writer of the internet where you can work on a draft for a day or a week or God forbid a month. And then you put it up and then, you know, immediately if it's working and if people Mm -hmm. like it and writing a novel is the polar opposite in every way from any type of writing I've ever done. And it's gotten to the point where I'm kind of like, well, maybe this novel will never be a book. And I'm like, no, you just have to like, it's easier to give up than it is to keep going. So I feel like such a, an ass when I'm like, I'm writing a novel because it feels so phony, but I am. It's just yes. going to take a while, yeah. but it's, it's hard. <laughs> the, the instant gratification that comes with like, you've written a post, you've put it out, your audience is coming back to you, telling you how they've, you know, resp- how they respond to the piece. But with a novel, so much of the story is in your head. And like at the risk of not spoiling it for people, you can't really share it with people. How have you juggled that? How, how do you deal with like frustration or like even giving up? I've become really honest with my friends and said, like, I need someone to read this right now. Like, yeah. I need you to read it and just tell me what you think or read it and just tell me it's great. Like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the difficulty I have with working on a larger project is I want to know what's working and what's not. I want that. I want the gratification of seeing someone witness what I've created And, um, even if I'm not looking for feedback, sometimes I just, I like a page and like, I want someone to see it. I just really love it. And I'm excited about it. And so I have a few friends who I will just send pages to and be like, can you just witness this beautiful thing that I've made? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and you, you like learn who those friends are too. Like not everyone is going to be that friend for you. I have friends who are, one is a patron who have become friends with who mostly through texting during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. 
one is my friend Gabe, who's my my editor. And I've just I've become really needy and been like, hey, I I need I need you to read this thing, please. Yeah. And that helps kind of stave off that validation hunger that I've developed from being an online writer. I think writing, especially bigger pieces, is such an isolated process. Like you could have people around mm-hmm. you, but it's a story that is so in you. It's there, you know, the start and end, you know, character arcs, it's about putting it on paper and can be so isolating when you can't share it. Because as writers, what is the one thing we really want people to not even if they don't like bathe us in their praise, it's the I want this writing to see the light of day. Mm -hmm. I think it's 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 the it's the least that you want as a writer. And to not have that is can be a very isolating process. I'm glad you have that creative community, even if it's a few friends, I think. Yeah, just pull you up from the bootstraps when you can't have that and i'm so so glad that you have that i suppose this is a loaded question it's uh, not an easy question and you have complete permission to go on like a rant it is loaded but i think it's yeah I, i'm so curious it's it's the first question i wanted to ask you it's the first one i put on the paper the thing that i shared with you why do you write oh my god um I've I've even been asked this question before, and every time I'm caught flat-footed, I write to understand myself often. I find that writing is the space that I've created and found for myself where I can just be honest about what I'm feeling or what I want or what scares me. Writing is where I don't lie to myself anymore. It's very much for me. And then I've begun to draw a line for myself of why do I write versus why do I publish? and writing is for me and publishing, editing and revising and publishing is for everyone else, is for my readers. And sometimes that's remembering, oh, I'm writing about a person. And as soon as I can write whatever I want just for myself about that person and what happened between us. But when I publish it, I have to remember that person is a human and not just a subject. So I, I that's I write for myself very selfishly and mm-hmm. then <laughs> for my own needs. Um, and then I publish for, for what I want other people to have. But yeah, I write because I think there's a lot more to learn and pack and decode as well about our human experience. And I see a unique skill in myself to put those things into words and to pry into those really sticky, vulnerable, embarrassing corners of our minds and hearts. And I seem to have a knack for it and people relate to it. And so it feels important for me to do because it's people need to do it. Yeah. If there's a need, I think, particularly among Gen Z and millennials, because we've thrown out so many scripts about dating and sex and marriage and commitment and intimacy, but we don't have a lot to replace it yet. Yeah. And so we need writers who can say like, hey, this part of hookup culture is really degrading. And that doesn't mean that we need to be monogamous, but it doesn't mean we need to be less, less like jerks. Yeah. My writing is trying to fill that void for folks too. And I think it does. Thank you. I'm working on it every day. I'm curious to know if if, if this is the way you go down or is the, the root of writing as well. I will never write. I may write fiction and I may make characters that have like some resemblance to even people I've met. It's like my way of paying homage to them. But like I'll never write something, especially if it has a lot of weight and like it's it's pertinent to the story that I haven't experienced. Or like I've no notion of. So is your process very much driven with like things you experience? I'm always writing about myself. 
it's like, even in my fiction, it's like, oh, this is a fantasy I've had, or, oh, this is an experience I've had. And most it'll be, oh, this is something a friend experienced. And I'm trying to understand it. Mm -hmm. I'm very much a write what I know type of person. I very much write one protagonist and it's something as a romance writer, I'm trying to figure out how to make that work in a novel. But yeah, I, I'm always writing about myself (laughs) to the point where like, I, I worry sometimes about pieces I'm publishing that are fictional to be like, which X is going to call me and be convinced it's about them. When in reality, most of my characters are composites, but yeah, I, yeah, I'm not about to go write somebody else's experience. I also just am so conscious of getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. And particularly as a white woman, like I'm trying to learn how to be, how to write diverse representative characters without being it's a dumb white woman (laughs) like (laughs) i'm trying to trying to think about how do i build worlds and characters who are diverse without doing a bad job which is probably more dangerous it's apparent in the writing but yes i think when you write from your own experience things you know always translate better on paper as opposed to conjuring Mm -hmm. up something that has no basis in reality to your lived experience you write these emotional things you you your first draft is for you it's the as you said emotional barfing (laughs) I can imagine sometimes it brings up a lot of things emotionally for you. How do you hold that space for yourself? It's something that I've really had to learn and that I'm still learning. Like, how mm-hmm. do you how do you take care of yourself when you're plumbing the depths of your trauma to write a micro memoir? Like, how do you how do you go there? Mm-hmm. And it is it's tricky. I've I've learned to be very communicative with my boyfriend and with my friends of I just wrote this thing and it's very upsetting and I am not okay right now just so you know. Like I've tried to be really proactive with recognizing when I've stirred something up or when I've gone somewhere deep and learn what I need in that moment. I've learned that like when I recognize that oh I've really gone gone deep in what I'm working on, I'm not going to remember to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and like I'm, yeah. I've, I've learned enough of my own bad habits and warning signs, but it takes time. And it, it's hard a to write those things when you're going deep or going, getting super vulnerable. It's hard writing it. It's hard editing it and it's hard publishing it. So mm-hmm. it's like a multi-step process. And very often by the time I publish something, I'm over it. Like the publishing it, I wait for the, to get upset. It doesn't come because I've worn down all of those feelings during the edit. Mm-hmm. Um, that first draft is where I really need to protect myself and be kind to myself and yeah. even just recognize that, oh, writing this can be upsetting. Yeah. Like That was a discovery that I finally granted myself permission to see recently. Writing this is upsetting mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, and it will bring it back and that's okay. And Sometimes you have to just walk away from a piece too. Like you can't worry that, oh no, if I don't face this now, I'm never going to write it. You mm-hmm. will write it later. If you're, if you really re-traumatized yourself, just put down the pen. It's, it's very strange. The idea of being like, oh, I've upset myself. Past mm-hmm. Ella has upset me <laughs> by bringing up even past Ella's memories. Um, it's, it's a very weird emotional experience. It's hard to explain to people who aren't writers. Yeah. It's just really weird. It's like emotional inception. Yes. Or when you're like, I've made myself sad about how sad I was because I reread my sadness. It's just like, what? Yeah, yeah. God, this has been honestly such a lovely chat. Uh, but I think in the interest of time, I, I, I do have one like big, heavy question. No, it's not that heavy. It's, we've talked about your writing, why you write. We've talked about your lived experience. What is your hope? for people reading your work? What is your hope for the readers? 
I really hope people feel less alone and less ashamed of their feelings. Like I think that there's this new shame associated with just feeling big things, like being really passionate or really in love or really heartbroken or really hurt. We want people to be chill. We want people to be mellow. We want people to not be too loud or take up too much space. And that's no way to live. And when you have that, that hurts you and it stunts your psychological growth and it it keeps you in pain. And I just, when I write, I really want to create space for other people to feel their feelings (laughs) and to recognize that their feelings are valid as much as that's cliche, but your feelings are valid. They are real. It doesn't matter if you don't have it as bad as someone else, or you've had other problems that were worse than this. If you're, you're allowed to feel hurt or to feel sad or to feel angry you're allowed to resent the person you had a one night stand with who will no longer call you back. Like you're, you're not crazy for feeling those things and you're not the only one who has felt them. That's what I love the most when I get feedback is somebody who says, I completely relate to this, especially when they're like, we have nothing in common. My situation was not the same, but what you wrote about helped me unlock this piece of what I was feeling. That is the best. Like that is the the highest praise and the deepest reward for the type of writing that we do. And I love that like you and I have very little in common and yet everything in common emotionally. And that's great. Like that's the best. So that's my hope is that people feel their feelings and don't bottle them up and that they might see themselves in what I'm doing, even if they are not a little white girl from Connecticut. yeah, that's. I think that's my answer. <laughs> and my hope for you as somebody that is really invested in your own craft and process is that you continue to write because, again, honest to God, it's, it's fucking amazing. Thank you. Thank um, you. <laughs> where can people find you if they want to read your work, follow your work? Where, where, can they, where can they find you? Best place to find me is elladawson.com. And you can find me on every social platform. My handle is at bros and pros because I write prose about bros, which is something I thought was hilarious five years ago. And now I'm like, why did I make this my brand? But I still do write about bros, so it's fine. But yeah, I'm on the internet everywhere. Okay, I'll, I'll have your links in the show notes. But thank you again for doing this. You're a trooper for doing this. And uh, yeah. My pleasure. Uh, looking forward to whenever the book comes out no pressure take your time but like i think it'll be amazing (laughs) all right thank you thank you thank you so much bye-bye love and citizenship is part of the writer project we have new episodes out every wednesday and you can find out more in the show notes thank you so much for listening and i'll catch you in the next one